Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I'm going to give you a moment to find Zephaniah chapter 3. When's the last time you heard a sermon from Zephaniah? Well, this morning we're going to start in Zephaniah, the third chapter. And we'll actually be probably in a handful of passages that might not be readily familiar to you. So let's all be getting those Bibles fired up and get ready to study from the Word of God. Zephaniah chapter 3 is going to be our starting point. It is great to see everybody this morning. What a wonderful number we have in attendance. It is a beautiful day, chilly, but... A beautiful day nonetheless. Good to be here. I'm encouraged by your presence, especially if you're visiting with us. We're really appreciative of, of your presence here with us today and your participation as we worship the God of heaven. I bring you greetings from the Ashley Heights congregation near Charleston, South Carolina. Had a great weekend with those folks this past weekend. And uh, if you're ever in the Charleston area, I would tell you to look those folks up and spend some time worshiping with them. Uh, I was invited to come and to speak a specific series of lessons on the subject of singing. And I had I had two, three lessons on singing, but I had to work up a whole new lesson on singing in order to complete the series. And so I am presenting that lesson to you this morning. I think it will be very beneficial for us, especially tonight is singing night. And so let's be thinking about singing as we read. In Zephaniah chapter 3, this is verse 17, the prophet of the Lord says this. He says, The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by His love. He will exult over you with loud singing. In 2011, legendary country music artist Glenn Campbell announced that he had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, a neurodegenerative disease that affects the memory and other cognitive functions of the brain. However, instead of announcing that he was immediately retiring from performing music, Glenn Campbell actually used that as an opportunity to announce that he was going on tour. He was going to be going on a nationwide tour all across the country that would span 14 months and it would serve as his farewell tour. That tour was actually the subject of a documentary called I'll Be Me. I watched that just a couple of weeks ago. And as I was watching the documentary and watching Glenn Campbell perform on stage, I was just astounded at the fact that here was a man who played 154 shows with Alzheimer's, sometimes not even knowing his own name, sometimes not even knowing his family members, sometimes not even knowing where he was, And yet on stage, with almost perfect clarity, he was able to recall the words and the notes to songs. In fact, Glenn Campbell is not the only Alzheimer's patient who has found that music has the ability to activate more parts of the brain maybe than any other stimulant. Researchers have discovered that music releases dopamine in the brain which then engages areas of the brain that are linked to uh, cognizance and concentration, organization, and then being able to recall events from past memories. And that's why more and more doctors, they are exploring the benefits of music therapy with Alzheimer's and dementia patients, because in the word of one neurologist, he said music may very well be the most powerful medicine of all. Now, while it's amazing that doctors and scientists have figured out the power that music has in those patients, I find it interesting that it's taken them so long to figure that out. Because God, I believe, knew that from the very beginning. That there is power in a song. God is, after all, the creator and the giver of music, is He not? 
In fact, that passage we just read in Zephaniah chapter 3 says that God Himself is musical. That He exalts and rejoices over you with singing. Man, what's it sound like when God sings? I'd like to hear that, wouldn't you? And not only does God sing, but He wants His people to sing. The Bible contains over 400 references to singing. And 50 of those are direct commands to sing. Singing is everywhere in the Bible. And I believe that's because the Lord wants us to be impressed with the power of singing. Singing, I believe, is unique from every other act of worship. Because of the aesthetic effect that it has upon our ears and on our brains and even down to the very depths of our soul. Certainly not trying to say this morning that singing is better or more important than than prayer or preaching or partaking of the Lord's Supper. Absolutely not. But I am wondering sometimes if we have given enough thought to all of the depths and the dimensions of the power of singing. Because I'm going to tell you, when you stop and you start breaking down all of the things that happen, Whenever Christians sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to the Lord, I think you'll just be amazed at the richness of what God has designed in singing. And this morning I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the power of singing. I want us to come away this morning appreciating what singing does so that not only will we be thankful for the gift of song, But furthermore, we will all be motivated even more to pour out our hearts before the throne of God. I think we've done that in a powerful way already this morning. We want to continue doing that and do that at an even greater level. Are you ready for that? Let's talk about what singing does for us and what it has the power to do. And I want to begin that by pointing something out about about God. Because first of all, I want you to recognize that singing moves God. We've already noticed from Zephaniah chapter 3 how God Himself sings. But I believe the fact that God created us with the ability to sing, I think that says something about how singing then moves the Creator. As He sees and hears His creation singing, that moves the Lord. And I don't just mean that emotionally. I believe the Bible shows that when people who love God, when they sing out to Him, that that has the power to move God to action. I'll show you that. Look in 2 Chronicles, please. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20. This is during the reign of King Jehoshaphat. And at this particular time, there are three bands of enemies that have come up against Judah. The Ammonites, the Moabites, and the Maonites. And all three of those groups, they're ready to wage war against Israel. And Jehoshaphat recognized, we're totally outnumbered here. I mean, we are just dead meat here. And so he does what I think most of us would do in that situation. He just cries out to the Lord. He cries out to God for help. Look in verse 12 of 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and verse 12. Jehoshaphat says, O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. What a great statement of faith that is. Lord, our eyes are on you. You, I'm going to tell you something. God loves that. God loves it when His people say, Look, Lord, it's not within me. It's not anything within my power, Lord. I'm looking to You. My trust, my dependence, my faith, it's all in You, Lord. I think that moves the God of heaven. How do I know that? Verse 17. 
Verse 17, the Lord says through His prophet, He says, you'll not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm. Hold your position and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. God says, I got this. In the words of that song that we sometimes sing, the battle is going to belong to the Lord. And I know that because of the very next thing that happens. Verse 20. Verse 20, then they rose early in the morning. And they went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and he said, Hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe His prophets and you will succeed. And when he had taken counsel with the people, Jehoshaphat appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise Him in holy attire as they went before the army. And they were to say, Give thanks to the Lord for His steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against them so that they were routed, the enemies were routed. The end of verse 23, they all destroyed one another, the text says. Verse 24, when Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. you see what happened here? These people trusted God. So much so that they were willing to go and stand out in the middle of a battlefield and sing praises to the Lord. And in doing so, God took care of their enemies. One by one, the enemies started killing and attacking one another until none were left. Our God was moved to action that day. Let me ask you, what was it that moved God that day? Was it the quality of the singing that was going on? Was it the precision of the pitch or the tempo? Is that what moved God that day? No, I I would dare say God wasn't even really even concerned about the quality of the singing. So if it wasn't the quality of the singing, what was it that moved the Lord that day? I'm going to tell you what it was. It was the heart that was behind that singing. It's Ephesians chapter 5 verse 19. These people were singing and making melody in their hearts To the Lord. That's what God is listening for. God is listening for the vibrations in their heart. God's listening for the vibrations in your heart. That the faith and the love and the joy that fills up your heart and then comes out in song, that's what moves the God of heaven. It's not about how it sounds in your ear. It's not about how that singing sounds in my ear. That's not important. It's about how it sounds to God. And what God is listening to is your heart. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, he heard hearts that were singing, that were full of faith. You want the New Testament counterpart to that? That'd be Acts chapter 16. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas have had a terribly long day in the city of Philippi. They have been beaten, they have been arrested, and they have been thrown in prison. And while they are in prison, Acts 16 verse 25 says that about midnight they began praying, And singing hymns to God. What's the very next thing that happens? Acts 16, 26. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. So that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. I'm going to say it once again. Singing moved God. When God looked down from heaven and He saw His servants not pouting, not whining, not complaining. Oh, we've served God all of our lives and this is what we get. No. When God looked down and He saw Paul and Silas, their trust, their confidence, 
their gladness and being able to suffer for His namesake, when He heard their singing, He shook the place literally. Singing moves God. Your singing moves God. Can I say that again? And I need you to think about this very personally. Your singing, it moves the very Creator of the universe. And I say that so that you understand, don't you ever shy away from making a joyful noise to the Lord. It doesn't matter what other people may think of the sound of your voice. That's not important. If you are singing to the Lord from your heart, that moves God. Now, having said that, and before I move away from this point, can I also suggest to you that there is another sense in which our singing can move God? Because just as singing can move God positively, our singing can also move God negatively. Would you find Amos chapter 5? I want you to look at some passages we don't read very often. In Amos chapter 5, here's a passage that actually shows that you can have the most amazing vocal abilities and you can be singing the most beautifully worded, the most beautifully arranged hymn of all time and yet it can move God in the wrong way. In Amos 5, God is addressing the Israelites during a period of time in which they were, they were just not living right. They were in apostasy, pride, idolatry, materialism was very much the norm. And to make matters worse, they were just being hypocrites about it. They were doing all this wicked stuff and then they'd show up to church on Saturday and, hey Lord, we're going to worship you now. God responds to that. In Amos 5 and verse 21, God says, I hate, I despise your feasts. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and your grain offerings, I will not accept them. The peace offerings of your fattened animals, I'll not look upon them. Verse 23, take away from me the noise of your songs. And to the melody of your harps, I will not listen. That singing moved God all right, didn't it? It moved God to anger. It repulsed God. It made Him sick at His stomach. This noise pollution that's coming before me, I don't want to hear it because you're not living right. You see the application for us today, don't you? Your singing better match your living. Don't come in here and sing, Oh, how I love Jesus. Oh, how I love Jesus. And then turn right around and go out there and you forsake walking according to His commandments. Don't come in here and sing, Oh, I want to be a worker for the Lord. And yet we can't even get you to sign up on one of those zillion of volunteer sheets out on the bulletin board. Christian, your singing better match your living. And I realize that there's a sense in which we're probably not going to be able to do that perfectly. Think about some of the songs that we sing. I surrender all. Anybody here think they they just got that down perfectly? That you've surrendered everything to the Lord? Probably not. But you know what? Even if we're not all the way there with the words that we're singing, we need to be singing them with the full intention that we're trying to get all the way there. What we're singing better match how we're living. Because God is moved by our singing. We better be making sure that we're moving Him in the right way. Singing is indeed powerful. And not just because of the way that it moves God, but secondly, singing is powerful because of the way that it moves us. In fact, singing moves us for just a number of different reasons. And right at the top of the list is the fact that singing teaches us. And that has a moving effect. Look in Colossians 3, please. In Colossians 3, this is one of the, probably the two primary texts in the New Testament 
that we go to and appeal to when it comes to singing. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes this in verse 16. In Colossians 3 and in verse 16, Paul says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, by singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. You know, sometimes when I hear folks complain and say things like, you know, I, I just don't like singing. I just don't care for it, and so, so I don't sing. Sometimes you'll see folks, if you're the song leader, you'll notice when folks start singing. And you ask somebody, hey, why weren't you singing? Well, I just, I just don't like singing. I'm not good at it, and so, so I just don't do that. And what I always want to ask folks who say that is I want to say, well, brother or sister, are you also exempt from teaching? Because that's what Colossians 3.16 says happens whenever we sing. That we are teaching. You realize that the teaching this morning, it did not begin the moment I stood up behind this podium. The teaching began when we opened up song number 451. We began singing that first song. And you realize that the teaching, it then continued throughout the duration of our song service. As we sang songs about Jesus, songs about heaven, songs about our Christian duty. And you realize as well, don't you, that it wasn't just the men who were teaching this morning. Our ladies were teaching in song. In fact, kids, if you were singing, you were teaching in song. All of us were teaching, and that's because the songs that we were singing, they expressed biblical truths and biblical principles and biblical concepts. Some of them even contain direct quotations right out of the Bible. We were singing about God's things. And maybe right here would be a very appropriate place for me to just say a word about how we need to make sure that what we are singing is biblical. Paul told Timothy to devote himself to sound teaching. And you know what? That's the standard that we need to be employing and holding ourselves to when it comes to our songs. And what that means is is that means just because a song sounds really pretty to your ears, or just because a song maybe has a, a really catchy melody... Or just because a song, hey, I really like where the alto does in this, or I love when the bass does this in that song, that's not the standard. That's not what's most important. It's the words, the content that matters the most. And we need to be paying attention to that. I must tell you, it's this is my conviction, that we got a lot of songs in our songbook that are very strong musically, but I believe are very weak lyrically. And my question is, If we won't tolerate weak teaching from the pulpit, why would we tolerate weak teaching in our songs? We need to think about that. And that's because God designed singing to be a teaching mechanism. And that's probably because of this second idea, and that is that singing also, it's powerful because it helps us to remember. Right now, show of hands. How many of you here learn the alphabet by going to school and sitting in a desk, and the teacher then standing in front of you, and in lecture style, the teacher says, okay class, today we're going to learn the alphabet. The first letter of the alphabet is A. The second letter of the alphabet is B. The third letter of the alphabet is C. So on and so forth, all the way down. The 26th letter of the alphabet is Z. Is that how you learn the alphabet? No. You and me... And everybody else in the history of the English language, we learn the alphabet by singing a song. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. That song, it helped us to remember not only the letters, 
but also the order and the sequence of those letters. And so from a very early age, we understand singing, it serves as a powerful mnemonic device. We've got a little little toy toddler laptop thing that sits in the back seat of my car. And Hattie's had that ever since she was real small. And she can push a button on there and it'll play this song that's the numbers 1 through 20. And it's the most annoying song in the world. But she learned her numbers 1 through 20 by singing that song over and over and over again. Let me ask you. Do you think God didn't know that whenever He commanded singing? You think God didn't know that singing serves as a powerful reminder and a tool for remembrance? Of course God knew that. Look in Deuteronomy 31. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, you know, we use songs to help our children remember stuff. Well, God used songs to help His children remember stuff. In Deuteronomy chapter 31, the Israelites, they're right here about to enter into the promised land. And God gives this instruction to Moses. In Deuteronomy 31 and in verse 19, He says, Now therefore write this song, and you teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. For when I have brought them into the land that's flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they've eaten and they're full and they've grown fat, they will turn to other gods and they'll serve them. And they'll despise me and they'll break my covenant. And when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness. For it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. God says, I want you to sing a song that's going to serve as a perpetual reminder of who I am and what I did for you. And even if these people, even if they try to repress that message of that song, even if they go off into apostasy and they live wickedly, they're not going to forget the song. They're not going to totally forget it. In fact, one day their kids are going to remember that song and they're even going to ask about it. Singing. Singing serves that vital function. I don't know about you, but I learned the twelve apostles from a song. I learned my books of the Bible from a song. I first learned about the reality of Christ's love for me from a song. Jesus loves me, this I know. Many of our young people, even on up into their teenage years, they know Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 by heart. Why? Because of a song. In fact, let me ask you this. How many of you here this morning could quote for me passages from Psalm chapter 25? Who thinks they could do that this morning? Some of you are thinking right now, okay, Psalm 23, yeah, I'd be good with that. When the Lord's my shepherd, I'll not want. But Psalm 25, I'm not really familiar with that. I don't think I know anything about that psalm. Well... You do. We just sang it. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. That whole song, all three verses and the chorus, every bit of it, taken right out of Psalm 25. You ever found yourself singing that song through the day? You're singing Scripture. You are remembering God's Word through the power of a song. You ever found yourself just doing that? You're driving down the road, working around the house, singing a hymn. Sometimes not even really doing that consciously. God has created the greatest iPod that the world has ever known. It's right up here. And that mind that we've been given, it is able to store hundreds, if not thousands of songs. And they're able to be accessed at a moment's notice from that memory vault. Psalm 119 verse 11 says, I have stored up your word in my heart. And there's a lot of ways that you can store God's word up in your heart, but I'm going to tell you, a song may be the most powerful way to store God's word in your heart. Thirdly, in this connection, singing moves us because it alters our mood and our emotions. 
Now understand, whenever we start talking about emotions and feelings, particularly as it pertains to worship, we get a little bit nervous about that because we recognize that that can get taken too far. Uh, We can get swept up in emotionalism. Many religious groups do get swept up in that today where feelings are just, they reign supreme and that's the end-all, be-all. And we always want to be careful about that. You know what? There is no denying that music has an effect on our mood and on how we feel. In 1 Samuel chapter 16 and in verse 23, we read there about how King Saul, he had this harmful spirit and how it distressed him and it tormented him day by day. Some have suggested that maybe what that means is that means that maybe he had this just this cloud of depression that came upon him and just made him feel miserable. What did God give King Saul? God gave him David. And when David brought music to Saul's ears... 1 Samuel 16.23 says that it refreshed Saul. It relaxed him. Made him feel better. As one author put it, he said, Music is a language of emotion. And it is capable of speaking to our feelings like nothing else can do. I can't tell you the number of times I've heard Christians say that they, they came in here on a Wednesday night for our Wednesday night service. And they came here just, you know, not even really feeling all that well, kind of tired and beat up, just had just a rough day at work, a rough several days at work, just kind of beat up by the world. But then the moment that we opened our mouth and we started singing, everything just changed. It just helped put everything right back into perspective. I've had a bad day, but you know what? It's really not all that bad. We're singing, sing and be happy. I've got a lot to be happy and joyful about. You know, there's a reason that the word sing... And the word joy are found 35 times together in Scripture. And that's because I believe singing helps to stimulate our emotions and channel them in the right direction. Maybe kind of closely connected to that and dovetailing off of that, singing is powerful because it helps to press us on through the trials of life. I'm looking for Psalm 63 now. In Psalm chapter 63, this is a psalm of David... And if you'll notice the superscription at the top of the psalm, you'll notice that this is a psalm that was written while David was in the wilderness. This is during that time in David's life when he was fleeing from his very own son, Absalom. Absalom is trying not only to overthrow his father and to take his throne, he's trying to kill him. He's trying to kill his dad. And so David, at this point in time, he is physically worn out. Emotionally, he is just a wreck. His family is falling apart at the seams. He is reaping the consequences of the sin that he had committed exactly as God had promised. You would think, with all that is going wrong in David's life, you'd think if ever there was a legitimate reason to just throw in the towel and to say, I quit, you'd think this would be it. But I want you to notice what David does at one of the lowest and darkest and most painful times in his life. Psalm 63, verse 3. David says, Lord, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. Verse 7, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. David says, I'm going to sing. It looks bad, but I'm just going to sing to God. And that encouraged him. Encouraged him to just keep on going when he meditated upon and when he sang out loud about God's steadfast love and His goodness. Gave him the strength to rise up out of that dark pit and to keep pressing on. It should be no surprise to us then that generations later, it was David's descendant, 
one Jesus of Nazareth, who as he was facing the specter of death and rejection and suffering, on the night in which he was to be betrayed, Matthew 26 verse 30 says that Jesus and his apostles, they did what? They went out and they sang a hymn together. I don't know what that hymn was. I don't know everything about that hymn. But I am persuaded that in some small way, that hymn encouraged Jesus to press on and to continue on and to carry out the mission that God had sent Him to do. In the same way, why do we sing the things that we sing? Why do we sing so many songs about heaven? To Canaan's land, I'm on my way. Why do we sing songs about persevering through trials? Jesus, draw me ever nearer. I'll tell you why. It's because singing is a powerful motivator. That combination of music and words, it just stirs us to remain steadfast and faithful. And as I hear you sing, and as you hear me sing, and as we all hear each other sing, we're reminded that I'm not alone in this. All of us have struggles. All of us need to be encouraged. And we do. We lift each other up in song. And we help to press each other to the goal. I remember about three years ago. It was Wednesday night. We were going to be having men's participation night where all of our men can participate in whatever way. Lead a prayer. Read something from Scripture. Sing a song. And I got a text message Wednesday afternoon from Brother Tim Gimple. And Tim was asking, Hey, I'm thinking about leading a song tonight. Can you get the song slides prepared? And I was kind of, well, yeah, I mean, you're going to be up for leading a song? And he said, well, I'm, I'm going to try. And I said, yeah, you just let me know what song it is and I'll, I'll get the slides ready. Tim texted me back and let me know what the song was and I'll not lie. I got a lump in my throat. Because that night Tim stood before us and I'll never forget, Tim led us in the song, Take my hand, precious Lord, lead me home. And you know the words of that song, don't you? I am tired. I am weak. I am worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord. Lead me home. I think Tim chose that song intentionally. He wanted all of us together to sing that song. Not just to encourage him, but to encourage each other. And I think that was purposeful, and I think it was meaningful. It was meaningful to him, and I know it was meaningful to me. Singing hymns, even through those dark valleys of life, it emboldens us to keep on going even to the very end. And that's because of this fifth thing. And that is that singing, it encourages us to live right. In Ephesians chapter 5, I've already referenced this passage already, but I need us to look at the context, if you will. In Ephesians chapter 5, we're all familiar with verse 19. But would you notice the verses that precede it? Because Paul actually sets up an important contrast here. In Ephesians chapter 5, this is verse 17. Paul says there, Ephesians 5 verse 17. He says, Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. God says don't be filling up yourself with intoxicating drinking with wine. If you want to fill up with something, you fill up with the Spirit of God. Well, somebody asks, well, well, how do you get filled with the Spirit? A lot of people today are very interested. I want to be Spirit-led and Spirit-filled. How do I do that? Well, Paul tells us. One of the ways you fill yourself with the Spirit, verse 19, is by addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. God says that we need to be using singing to fill up our spirit 
with His Spirit. That is, we fill up our hearts and our minds and our lives with His things. Have you ever noticed that when you fill up your mind with spiritual things, number one, that helps you to do right. And number two, that keeps you from doing wrong. For example, I don't believe that it is humanly possible for a Christian to live like a drunken, wild, pagan party animal and sing the song, Trust and Obey, at the same time. I don't think you can do that. When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, I don't think you can do that and be drinking a beer. I don't believe that you can sin and sing at the same time. At least you can't do it in good conscience. That's why God says you get these songs, and you get these hymns, and you get these spiritual songs. You get them into your heart. You be a singing people. You sing when you come together with the Lord's people. You sing when you're out by yourself and on your own. You sing. And that will help you to stay on the narrow way. And even when you find yourself veering off of the narrow way, singing furthermore, singing will help to stir you to repentance. Look in Psalm 137, please. In Psalm 137, Israel at this point in time, they've been carried off into Babylonian captivity. And the psalmist writes about what that was like while they were in captivity. Psalm 137, beginning in verse 1, he says, There by the rivers of Babylon... There we sat down and we wept. We wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres. Here's the Israelites, they're in captivity, they're far away from home, and they're remembering what it was like at home. And it's causing them to be sad. It's causing them to weep and to cry. So then in verse 3, our captors then, they came and they required of us a song. And our tormentors wanted mirth, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. The Babylonians said, Hey, Israelites, perk up! Sing us one of your songs. You know, whenever you'd go to your temple and you'd sing to your God, Hey, sing us one of those songs here. Just do a little song and dance for us. Listen to the response, verse 4. How shall we? How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? We can't sing. Those songs remind us that it was our sin that got us into this mess. It's our sin, our rebellion, our faithlessness. That's what brought us to Babylon in the first place. And so the thought of us singing the Lord's song here in this place, it's just a reminder that we're not living right. And that's just too convicting for us. If you know the remainder of your Old Testament history, then you know that these people ultimately do. They do repent. They end up becoming that remnant of Israel that God had promised all along. But the psalmist says that it was a song that played a part in bringing about that repentance. Have you ever felt that way whenever we're singing in the assembly? Here maybe, for example, maybe I'm harboring some kind of unrepented sin. Maybe it's a secret sin that only I and the Lord know about. And now the congregation, all of us together, we're singing the song, When we all get to heaven, what a glorious day that'll be. When we all get to heaven. And I'm thinking about the words of that song. And I start to realize, I can't sing that. The way I'm living right now in my sin, I can't sing that song. I'm in sin. In fact, if I don't do something about my sin, I may die in my sin. And if that happens, then not only am I not going to be able to sing about heaven, I'm not going to be able to go to heaven. I need to repent. That ever happened to you before? Provoked to repentance by a song? I tell you, I have. 
fuss and scream and holler at my wife and my daughter and then come in here on Wednesday night and we say angry words, oh let them never. Come in here this past Wednesday night, Rick led us in the song, Shall I Crucify My Savior? Did you pay attention to the words of that song? Man, it'll cut you. When we sang that song, you never mentioned Him to me. If that don't get you off the dime to be more evangelistic, I don't know what will. Singing can provoke us to make changes. And I'm going to tell you, I am thankful to God for that. Because finally in this connection, singing is powerful because it unites us. You know, whenever we have somebody who's maybe a a first-time visitor uh, in an assembly of the Lord's church, one of the things that first strikes them is the fact that, maybe the fact, first of all, that we don't have instruments in our worship. But then secondly, the fact that we're all going to sing. Like, 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 really, all of us together, we're all going to sing this song. For many people on the outside, group singing like this, it's just strange. It's just weird. I mean, where else in life do we do that? I mean, with the exception of singing the happy birthday song at somebody's birthday... Or maybe if you go to a baseball game and at the stadium in the middle of the seventh inning stretch, everybody in the stadium sings, take me out to the ball game. But where else do we sing in large groups like this? I mean, is that a regular occurrence at the place where you work? Just like right there in the middle of the work day, hey, we're all just start singing Yankee Doodle Dandy. Does that happen when you go shopping, go into Kroger, and all of a sudden all the shoppers all together, oh, my old Kentucky home, is, is that how that happens? No, doesn't happen that way. That's just not a thing that people do. Do you know what? God's people do. We do. We sing together. And one of the main reasons for that is because it helps to bond us together. Can I show you a verse that maybe you've never thought about in this connection? Look in Romans 15. In Romans 15, you maybe never thought about this verse as it relates to singing. And I may be totally off in how I'm using it, but you, you tell me. In Romans chapter 15, look in verse 5. In Romans 15 and in verse 5, Paul says there, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, verse 6, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now I realize that passage does not specifically mention singing, but can I ask, What other activity do we do where together, all of us with one voice, we glorify the Lord? If you're reading from a King James Version, it actually renders that verse with one mind and with one mouth glorify the Lord. What other activity do we do where every single one of us, we are all saying the same thing at the same time, all to the glory of God? I guess maybe it could be many things, but I'm going to tell you, singing is one of those things. And that unison, that helps to bring us together the way that God wants us to be together. And that is why I'm going to emphasize right now that it is important that we all sing. You hear me? Young people, in the back, all of us need to be singing. Think about it in heaven. What's it going to be like in heaven? Is in heaven, are we going to have people up there doing solos for the Lord? Here's a guy over here, he's on his cloud and he's singing his song to God. And here's a guy over here, maybe he's got himself a quartet and we're going to sing our song to God. And there's a guy over there on his cloud and he's just kind of watching the other two and being a spectator. Is that how it happens in heaven? Is that the worship of heaven that you read about in Revelation? Oh, it's something where we're going to be doing it together. 
And that means then that what God is doing right now here on earth through our singing is He is bringing together a universal and eternal choir that is going to sing together throughout the ages of the ages in mass numbers around the very throne of God. And I'm going to tell you, every single voice matters. Because every single voice represents a soul which represents a part, a member of that universal body of Christ. What a powerful bonding agent singing is as it strengthens our unity and our harmony one with another. Do you see? Do you see the richness of singing? Singing moves us in ways quite like nothing else can do. It teaches us, it reminds us, it encourages us, it provokes us, it it, it unites us, it draws us closer to God, and it draws us closer to heaven. Praise God for the privilege of worshiping Him in song. Now, as we get ready to extend the invitation of Jesus the Christ, let me tell you one other powerful effect that singing has. And that's this last thing. And that is that singing also, it moves others. That passage we referenced earlier in Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas, they're in prison. And they're singing songs to God. And God sends that earthquake. Have you ever noticed that when that earthquake happens, nobody leaves? All the prisoners stay put. The guards, everybody just stays where they are. Think about it. One minute Paul and Silas are singing hymns. The next minute God sends an earthquake and shakes that place. And the next minute, I think nobody dared to leave. I think people recognize that this had an effect that caused this, and now as a result, that singing that happened over here, it's now affected these people over here. And in the case of that Philippian jailer, it affected and moved him in a great way because he inquired about, wanted to know about Jesus, wanted to know about salvation. What do I need to do to be saved, he asked. And that in turn led to him and his family being taught the gospel and then obeying the gospel in the waters of baptism that very same hour of the night. You know what that says to me? That says that my singing, your singing, it has an effect on other people. Singing isn't just about what it does for me. It's about what it is doing for other people. And it is for that very reason that we set aside this time near the end of every service and we sing a very special song that oftentimes we refer to as a song of encouragement. And if you are not in a right relationship with God, then this song is designed to get you, number one, to think soberly about the condition of your soul, and then secondly, to encourage you to do something about it. And what makes these invitation songs so powerful is that oftentimes you look at the words of these invitation songs, they are so pointed, they are so direct, and they just don't leave a whole lot of room for indecision. Think about it. Someday you'll answer the question of life. What will your answer be? There's a great day coming. Are you ready for that day to come? We're going to sing song number 304. Why do you wait? Why not? Why not? Why not? Come to Him now. Paired with the preaching of God's Word. Those songs have moved people to action time and time and time again. The question now is, will you be moved to action? Will you be moved to respond to the invitation of our Lord by taking advantage of this opportunity right now? We're going to sing this song. 
Listen and pay careful attention to the words of this psalm. And then appropriate the truths that it conveys in your life right now. If we can assist you in serving the Lord for the first time, or to come back to the Lord and to serve Him in a better and new way from this day forward, we're ready to help. You just need to make that known. Do that by coming to the front while we stand, and yes, while we sing.